0: So let's talk about the logistics of the internet. And in case you didn't know, you know, or with the internet in general or what powers it, Essentially, it is cables that are run across the ocean floor, all across the globe. So if you're you're watching the show and I'll I'll try to describe it for those who are listening, but it's essentially all of these, what looks like a shipping route, all of the different trade lanes across the world. That's essentially what the cables on the bottom of the ocean floor look like that power our internet. And so this is what powers 90% of our modern day internet is all is located at the bottom of the ocean floor. so when folks think that they are, you know, sending things to the cloud and you know storing things in the cloud, it's really actually being powered by these crazy cables that are just insane to manufacture, that are insane to ship, and even more insane to lay on the bottom of the ocean floor itself. So I wanted to show a clip that I found from a, this company called Fluctus, which they feature, you know, different you know ships from all around the world and their functionality. And one of the the ways that they create this video is that they highlight How internet cables are created, and then how they're ultimately laid on the ocean floor. So it's about a a little over a minute long clip, so bear with me and uh, let's go ahead and play it.
1: Despite all the impressive technology that goes into cable manufacture today, underwater cables have actually been around for over 150 years. Indeed, the very first transatlantic telegraph cable was laid between 1854 to 1858 and was capable of sending entire messages in a matter of minutes from Ireland to Newfoundland. Of course, back then, these cables were laid haphazardly by slow-moving steamships. Today, the job is done by specialized vessels with unique rotary sections for cable storage and deployment. They're also built with special mooring systems and flat bottoms, which enable them to reduce motion when operating in both shallow and deep water. The interior of these unique vessels is equally intriguing. The most notable is the way the entire center of the ship is dedicated to the cable-laying process. With thousands of feet of tether for the ROUVs, in addition to the underwater cables, vast sections of the ship are completely dedicated to storage space. There are also specially equipped sections from which the movements of the ship, cable-laying devices, and ROUVs can be coordinated via remote control. As we continue to see an increase in the demand for offshore power, no doubt these massive cable-laying vessels will become a more frequent sight on oceans and lakes all around the world. However, this process is still susceptible to a variety of unique challenges and problems.
0: Now this that video in particular was super fascinating to watch and if you were listening to it you're probably like what's wrong with this person's voice. Well we sped up the clip a little bit just because uh, they are really slow talkers. And so we sped it up a little bit in order to fit all of this information into this segment. So if you noticed that part, yeah, that was uh definitely my call in order to speed that clip up. But it's really really cool how they manufacture the cables themselves because it is like a traditional internet cable of what we would almost envision like a power line right outside of our house but just laid on the floor of the ocean and they have to protect they have a series of protection that goes around these cables in order to prevent uh different animal attacks like there's it's a common occurrence for these cables to be bitten by sharks and so they have to whenever they they have this noted you know that an issue is happening with an internet cable they have to go and use special technology to scour the ocean floor and find out where these sharks have bitten the internet cables in order to get them fixed so i thought that that was another really funny note um, from that video now, we've kind of talked about how the internet cables and just really communication cables have been laid on the ocean floor, but the, really the first big challenge for the internet itself was Y2K, you know, the countdown from 1999 to 2000. And that was such a crazy time because not only were, you know, their conspiracy theories and all of that stuff around, you know, uh, different Mayan calendars and things like that of what's going to happen during, you know, the the 2020 or not 2020, but the 2000 clickover, But there were a lot of different components within the technology space that had to be solved, or we were likely going to face a technological crisis that we never really envisioned. So let's play that clip on what happened with Y2K.
2: This $600 billion computer bug never actually happened. Up until the 1990s, computers conserved memory by only storing the last two digits of a year. However, with the turn of the century approaching, this meant that PCs wouldn't be able to differentiate between, say, 1901 and 2001. This is famously known as the Y2K problem, and experts estimated that entire industries would get wiped out. However, come midnight on January 1st, 2000, the expected issues ended up being minimal.
0: Now, what that clip doesn't highlight is the programmers that literally spent hours and hours, sometimes years, in order to rewrite entire computer software programs in order to make sure that that bug never happened. And there were stories from developers and programmers that spent days leading up until the new year and even days after the new year in order to prepare and monitor. And what the one developer was really talking about is he was in his office along with several other programmers and it was the countdown for the first country to hit uh, New Year's Eve to hit midnight, and New Zealand was the first one. And so, when New Zealand, you know, their their clocks ticked over to the year 2000, that was when they knew, okay, whew, they could breathe a sigh of relief to know that all of the fixes that they had implemented actually worked. And so I thought that that was really uh, a really fascinating look into how some people spent their New Year's Eve in 1999 in order to make sure that the rest of our technology and what functions as far as the rest of the globe is functioning properly and as it should. So We evolved from the telegram cables to the high-tech super cables um, to fixing really like global internet outages or the potential of global internet outages. But how do we evolve from the AOL dial-up to Wi-Fi and to fiber internet of how it works today? Let's play a clip on how Wi-Fi works.
2: Hey, I have a question. Yeah, sure. If I sent you an email right now, how would it get off of my laptop? So we wanted to get to your Wi-Fi router, right? But that's a laptop, it's not connected to anything, so something's gotta go through the air. Yeah, 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 exactly. But what is going through the air? Like, what physically is coming out of my laptop and going somewhere? Radio waves. Radio waves? Yeah, your computer and your phone are both radios. They're just really high-tech ones. Here's the interesting challenge, though. You've probably heard that everything inside of your computer is binary, right? Yeah, ones and zeros and something. Awesome. Okay, so the real question is how does your computer take that binary information and put it onto a radio wave? There are two classic ways of doing this. The first is that you could change the amplitude or the height of the wave, right? So you could say every tall wave is a one and every short wave is a zero. So one, zero, one, one, zero, 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 etc. Other option is you could change the frequency of the wave. So you could say every long wave is a one and every short wave is a zero. So one, zero, zero, one, one, etc. Your computer now is doing this in much more complicated ways, but it's all based on these ideas. You know what's really cool about that? What? Somebody figured out how to build it. Like, we talk about the internet as though it's this magical thing, but It's a physical reality and somebody figured out how to build it. Exactly. I think that's awesome.
0: I think it's awesome too. And I was doing a lot of, you know, fun research when it comes to this. And Cleo Abram is one of my favorite follows on social media, on YouTube. So if you don't follow her, she has a lot of great content. If you like this kind of content, then you will love a lot of the stuff that she produces. And speaking of her, let's play the final clip with why cables and not satellites? What's the next internet space race?
2: So I know the internet mostly doesn't rely on satellites, it relies on cables under the ocean. But then why do I keep hearing about Elon Musk's satellites? And also Jeff Bezos and also maybe Richard Branson? There's an internet space race going on right now. And Elon Musk's company, Starlink, is ahead. These are all real satellites that are in orbit for Starlink right now. That's cool and all, but what's so different about them? Okay, so older satellite systems like HughesNet and Viasat keep their satellites really high up, and they keep them stationary over one spot on the surface, which lets them cover just huge areas, but when you're up that high, it takes a really long time to send radio waves back and forth. If you brought the satellites lower, you could reduce that time, but you need a lot more of them to cover the same area. And to stay at that altitude, they'd need to orbit. This is what all these new projects are trying to do, but Starlink is doing it fastest. Wait, so that's why I keep seeing TikToks like these. People can see them. Yeah, there are a lot of them up there already. This kind of looks like a problem. I'm going to need to make another video.
0: Yeah, super fascinating insight. And I, again, love her videos. If you, so explaining all of the logistics of the internet and where we currently are, where we've been, and where, more importantly, where we're headed. So I hope you guys enjoyed that topic. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. If you can find more of my work over at everythingislogistics.com, and then we will be back here right next week, Thursday at 2 p.m. with more fun topics just like this. hope you enjoyed that episode of Everything is Logistics, a podcast by Digital Dispatch, where we help your company build a better website. And speaking of my company, I founded it back in 2018, but we recently streamlined our website services plans. So if you want to check out how we can help you and your marketing team build a better website and connect those ROI goals, then go visit digitaldispatch.io. You can also check out past episodes of this show and every show by hitting up the resources page on digitaldispatch.io or on everythingislogistics.com. I do some freelance content projects for select clients. And if you liked this show, then you might like some of the other content projects that I've worked on, like Cyberly, Maritime Means, and more. But until next time, I'm Blake Brumleave, and I will see you real soon. Go Jags!